Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! Also with us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. That was exuberant. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm done for. Just like one arm straight up in the air. Hello! Dude, the thing, what people know about me is just my love of life itself. Just, you know, <laughs> vibrant is the way I'm typically described. That's right. Enthusiastic, boisterous, Jed Brewer. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, we have some great questions. We, uh, we have a, a fun show lined up for you. But first, we must declare a literary emergency. Emergency. Oh. An upcoming literary emergency. Um, uh, we have a, a release uh, that, was, that came uh, our way on Twitter. Uh, a new book from megachurch pastor Andy Stanley, a oh. land of his own. Um, not in it to win it. Why choosing sides sidelines the church? That, that's concerning. Choosing sides about what exactly? Uh, well, let's take a look. Is it possible to disagree politically and love unconditionally? Not really. The reaction of evangelicals <laughs> to political and cultural shifts. Don't skip ahead, Jed. <laughs> the reaction of evangelicals to political and cultural shifts in recent years revealed what they value most. Lurking beneath our Bible, our Bible-laced rhetoric, faith claims, books, and sermons is a relentless drive to, all caps, WIN! Oh, okay. But the church is not here to win. In, by every human measure, our Savior lost on purpose, with a purpose, and we are his body. We are not in it to win anything. We are in it for someone else entire, for something else entirely. Something else is what this book is about. Wow, that's a word salad right there, man. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> so, but uh, Wait, I thought the book was called In It to Win It. Not, not in it to win it. Not in it to win it. Okay, okay. In It to Win It will be the much, much, much more popular follow-up. <laughs> in It to Win It sounds like uh, a TV show that would be on like uh, Nickelodeon in the 80s. Yeah, yeah that's true. a lot of that's sliming true. on In It to Win It. Hosted by Dave Coulier. <laughs> yeah. Where uh, the prizes, you, re- you look back as an adult and realize these prizes were not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A $60 gift card to Circuit City. <laughs> All expenses paid were weekend in lovely Jacksonville, Florida. Ooh. <laughs> this is this is from nothing, but it just made me think of that. I I was signing up for, I don't know, something. It was like I forget, like registering for something online that I had to. And I was like Ticketmaster or something. And I accidentally clicked the thing where they were like, Do you want us to contact you about uh, exciting opportunities? So about every week I'll get a phone call and that occasionally I will forget to uh, let go to spam because I'm expecting a call from someone and it'll, it'll be like, hi, this is so-and-so you take a mask. You signed up with our amazing vacation opportunities. We have time. Basically they're trying to sell a timeshare in but the th- ones are Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Branson, Missouri, and Orlando, Florida. And it always, the pitch always ends. I've gotten to where I pick it up first. Now the pitch always ends. which one of those would you be interested in to which I consistently and honestly answer. Oh, I've been to all of those, none, <laughs> and then hang up. <laughs> you get a buy one, get one at Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> what if I don't want one? 
So, but we're unlike uh, the the show following uh, Christian Double Dare uh, in it to win it on the the children's Nickelodeon network. I, I I love the 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 precept here of the problem has been choosing sides, not okay. like I don't know which side you chose. Yeah. There's something that happened in the last several years that undermined a bunch of things with a relentless drive to win. So I have a question. Yeah, like what if? But I'm I'm just spitballing here. What if one of the sides, if you were, you know, if if someone asked you to choose sides, what if one of the sides was like completely against everything that your religion stood for in that book that you say you love, and then like the other side was like, hey, that's not anything that we stand for in this religion. Like, if you chose sides at that point, I mean, would that be bad? I mean, Are, choosing a side is... We're not doing that, Lee. Uh, the The cover <laughs> has three blue arrows pointing to the left and three red arrows pointing to the right because, as we know from the Bible... Truth is always arrived at by taking two points and picking the thing exactly in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats, right? You know, the king, he, he takes some people and puts them on the left, and he takes some people, puts them on the right. And the one crew's like, you really helped me out and that, you know, and the other crew says, you didn't really help me out at all. And then the king summarized by saying, and, you know, you both made a lot of interesting points. I feel like, you know, basically you're, you're both pretty much like it's, it's all right in the middle that, that I'm pretty sure that's how Matthew 25 ends actually. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, you have to buy the special translation, but they'll sell it to you. <laughs> it's in there. Also, um, again, I think it is just the, the, the general trumpeting of our kind of discourse in this world. Did you need one half of your book description to basically be Jesus was a loser? It's fine. <laughs> like yeah. that's really weird. Our Savior lost on purpose to uh to uh, well previously we've talked about uh, the the '90s Carmen song, which kind of by kind of you know perceives of the whole universe struggle as a fight at a boxing match. But I like that. But Jesus takes a dive. <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, it's okay to say like, Hey, on some things, uh, one of these sides is right. And the other is wrong. Not on all things, you know, that's fine. But, uh, you can't just look at like, you know, for example, Hey, maybe not fascism. Well, but maybe fascism, you can't arrive at what about a little fascism? I dabble, <laughs> you know, this little fascism of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Yeah, wow. that is, that is disturbingly close to a real ethos at this point. Well, what if your organization was, um, so huge and your whole thing was, you know, we want to be, we want to make sure that we're friendly to the seekers and therefore and and maybe your huge organization ran on pretty thin margins. So the one thing you can't do is offend anyone about anything ever. So oh. as a result, maybe you can't call out things that are, I don't know, evil. Sure. Well, Lee, it's a very interesting point you make when you say you can't offend anyone. I think what you mean is you can't offend the people who already come here. 
whether yeah, they're right or wrong. The people who don't come here, maybe they're the only group you're willing to offend. So maybe that kind <laughs> of uh, maybe that kind of colors what you think. Or unwilling to defend, no matter what that book you say you love says. Yeah, so there's a lot going on here. And this is, of course, just a general centrist gobbledygook from a man who was a, is a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Noted centrist organization. The problem with the Southern Baptist Convention, and this is just one man's opinion, isn't that they chose a side. It's that they consistently <laughs> and blindly chose one side no matter what. Um, but th- this led me down a bit of a rabbit hole, to be honest with you gentlemen, to, uh, I clicked on, uh, Mr. Stanley's, uh, Amazon page. And again, I'm not here. To, I'm not here to bash Andy Stanley. I don't know him from Adam. He's probably fine. Whatever. I don't care. Uh, here's what I know is, uh, his author description on the Amazon there is he's the author of more than 20 books. Wow. That's a lot of books. Nobody has 20 books worth of things to say. Yeah, that's true. Like Dickens, Dostoevsky, you know, Victor Hugo, whoever you think of as, you know, just the most prolific. Those guys all wrote like seven books. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, uh, you know, one of Matt's favorite authors has written a lot of books, but one, he's like 98 years old at this point. Yeah. And two, all of his books are about 80 pages long. They're yeah. all like big pamphlets. Yeah. They're micro books. Frederick Biegner is the equivalent of the streaming show you click on, and you're like, oh, these episodes are 28 minutes. This is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this is just going to hum right along. Let's look at some some titles. I'm not going to clear anything. Uh, We got Not In It To Win It, sure. Um, Communicating for a Change. Visioneering. Ooh. Your guide to discovering and maintaining personal vision. And that sounds like uh, a phrase that the made up uh, motivational speaker in the Simpsons episode where everyone is supposed to come like Bart should, would come up with. Yeah. We call it visioneering. Uh, deep and wide. Oh, stop. Don't do that. that that's that not really not one, the Trevor it? test at all. Um, <laughs> louder than words. Uh, the uh, metal, I assume that's the metal sequel to the extreme song More Than Words. Uh, that's very intriguing. <laughs> I just want now, just I just want a metal version of More Than Words yeah, with like the yeah. with like the double bass drum and just <laughs> oh, yes, with the exact same vocal. Exactly. <laughs> it's your, your, oh, gosh. Here's one Who Needs Christmas? <laughs> and I like just the idea of just, just. The aged guy standing on the front lawn, like yelling at the kids. Yeah, who needs it? Uh, what's this? Better decisions, fewer regrets. Which again, that sounds like uh, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from such uh, self help programs as Smoke Yourself Thin and Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. <laughs> now again, I don't I don't mean to to bash uh, Mr. Stanley, and that's fine. But when work and family collide. Keeping your job from cheating your family. Um, if you know anything about uh, Andy Stanley, he is the uh, son of Charles Stanley, uh, also a former president of the SBC and uh, noted megachurch pastor. Here's the thing to our, to our brethren in the pastorate. Uh, some of them are a little bad at this. 
you guys don't haven't had like a, a job in the sense of a traditional job. You don't you, you don't need to give advice. Like the picture is like a laptop with a like a desk job. Like you don't you don't know what that's like. That's cool. Yeah. Pastor's yeah, his own yeah, job. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are concerning about that. So there's that. But then that brings us to his father, Charles Stanley. And that led me to the end of a, a uh, kind of a link rabbit hole here. Because Charles Stanley is a member of something that I didn't know existed until today. The National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Ooh, and I'm looking at the, we're, we're all looking at the webpage right now. And if you are a fan of names, both of people <laughs> and organizations, I cannot strongly enough recommend the National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame page. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Ooh. Most of this looks deeply made up. Yeah. Herman Gockel. <laughs> e. Brandt Gustavson. Richard P. Wow. Bott Sr. <laughs> Edward G. Atsinger Third. Oh. I also like the, uh, the, the name of Billy Graham's uh, radio program. Sounds like. Like if if Christopher Nolan was to do one more Batman movie, it's called Hour of Decision. <laughs> oh, that's totally true. Yeah, so there's there's the names of that, and then there so all these people are presumably put in for uh a particular uh piece of output. Oh, from our own Chicago, Illinois, Paul Rader, date of induction, nineteen seventy six, Breakfast Brigade. Now that's a show I could be interested in. <laughs> it also sounds like a combination of the Breakfast Club and uh Red Dawn. Well, there is that. I got to be honest. If there were a radio show that was basically just about waffles, like, and kind of like a post-game show for your breakfast, where they're like talking about, you know, here's what was good about this waffle. Here's what I feel like the waffle needs to do more of tomorrow in order to, you know, to get better. I would definitely consider tuning into that. Sure, but that would that yeah. would pr- presage the rise of the Stephen A. Smith of the waffle debate space. <laughs> By two pads of butter. That's outrageous. What did I tell you? Oh, this now here. Here's a name of something that is a, a novel. I would read Shadow Mountain Community Church. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like an expose podcast. There's one at the bottom that I think is uh, just just not what I thought was going to be in the, the Hall of Fame of the Christian Bible radio programs. The Salem Communications Corporation. Ah. We we thought they had some good ideas. <laughs> now I want you to get in your mind what you think. Forget what we're talking about for a minute, and just hear this is the name of a radio show: "Music Through the Night." Oh, maybe something smooth, maybe something uh, a little suave. You know, this is the, the two a.m. hour, and you're listening to music through the night. Uh, it, heavy on the Lionel Richie. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It is a uh, show hosted by a man named Mike Kellogg from Valparaiso, Indiana, <laughs> which is the least funk something can have. Pretty similarly from the, the broader Chicagoland area. And this is an old show. It was inducted in 1992. There's a show called night sound. Yeah. <laughs> night sounds with Bill Pierce. Night sounds. It only plays the Bob Seger song Night Moves <laughs> for a four hour block every night. <laughs> there are two inductees for 
a show called Radio Bible Class. There, there's one out of Wheaton from the mid '90s called Chapel of the Air, which sounds like a <laughs> level on a fantasy video game. Yeah, that sounds yes, like an dude. Elden Ring thing. Oh. Yeah, no, that's a that's that's some deep cut Zelda reference, I believe. Right. That's amazing. There's dude. one just called Crown Financial Ministries. Radio Chapel Service. I like that. That's that does what it says on the tin. Well, in 1975, there was a show called Christ for Everyone. And I just don't know if a show that was entitled that would win any awards these days from this organization. Oh, yeah. yeah. There are two from our friends of the more Germanic persuasion, uh, Lutheran Hour Ministries, St. Louis, Missouri, and the Lutheran Hour, St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> so if you were a Lutheran in St. Louis in the... Uh, uh, mid nineties to uh, early two thousands, you were apparently spoiled for choice. I really, in my mind, I like the idea that those uh, broadcast on two different stations at the exact same time to force people to choose. You can only listen to one. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of this is a bit more old school. People who are uh, born after the kind of decline of most commercial radio I may not remember this, but there was a big thing in local radio markets where uh, competing stations would do like crazy stunts. You know, put out a big thing and, oh, we're, you know, we're going to do a dunk tank or we're going to crash these cars or whatever. And I like the idea of two Lutheran radio stations just going at it on a spectacle and stunt. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 1989, J. Vernon McGee, through the Bible, spelled T-H-R-U. That's how you know it's cool. Yeah, he was ahead of his time. (laughs) Uh, Well, and we already, uh, Lee already mentioned one that probably would not be as popular today. And I will end from Paul E. Freed of Cary, North Carolina. Data induction, 1997. Trans World Radio. <laughs> oh. I'm not going to look that up, and I'm going to assume that it was an incredibly progressive statement by the National Religious Broadcasters Council in the late 90s to give Trans World Radio a place in the National Religious Broadcasting Hall of Fame. And on that positive, almost certainly made-up note, we will declare <laughs> emergency off. So we're going to move to our first question here. If you angle this all the way to the end, I'll use some ways you can get in touch with this, or you can scroll down to your episode description. Click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I have and am still battling self-doubt to keep a healthy lifestyle. People keep telling me that God will always be by our side, whether we are in hurt or pain. But when I say that to others, it sounds like toxic positivity sometimes. It was never my intention to inflict hurt onto them as I was once in their shoes. How should I relay this idea properly? And I think this is a really great question. We've, we've actually talked about po- toxic positivity uh, recently on the show, and it's, it's a very interesting idea. It's something that's very applicable. But it is also something that you know you can certainly echo without meaning to. And Jed how do we look at a situation where we want to communicate something positive without falling into this kind of trap where we kind of work against ourselves? That's a great question, man. Well, I think one of the things that's important to look at is, is to ask yourself, do you need to say anything here? Mm-hmm. Like is, is that actually called for? And and I think one of the things that's important to understand is that comfort and answers are not the same thing. And I want you to think about that uh, because 
sometimes we we need answers and sometimes the answers are not very comforting. Um, and sometimes we need comfort and the comfort actually doesn't answer any of the questions. It's just the thing that we need. And I think there actually is an interesting spiritual implication on that. You know, the Bible describes God as the God of all comfort. Um, it very much does not describe him as the God of all the answers. Um, you know, it, it promises that God wants to comfort us in the midst of our trials. It does not promise that God wants to answer every question that we have. In fact, the, the Bible is pretty clear about God not wanting to answer many of the questions that we have, especially when things get really hard. Um, to whatever extent those answers exist, those are on the other side of eternity. So the idea that you need to say something kind of vis-a-vis giving an answer you know, or, or a deep insight to the nature of the situation, I really want to encourage you to think about that. Of, of is that really the thing that you need to do? And I think it's worth asking too, A, is the other person looking for you to do that? Like, have they said anything that communicates that they would like you to weigh in with, with insights? And the, the other thing that goes along with it is to ask, and, and I don't mean this unkindly, but I do want you to think about it. Are you qualified to speak to this situation in terms of offering insights? Yeah. Like, are you a physician? Are you a counselor? Are you a therapist? Are you a pastor? Are you a person with experience in crisis counseling? Um, Because, dude, if you're not, and that's cool, most people are not those things, and no one is all of those things. If if you're not those things, it's cool to just figure out how to be a comfort to the people that you care about. Um, They they need that too, you know. And like, you know, one more thought, right? Again, sometimes maybe there's a medical thing going on, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor has answers, but that's not comforting. There's, there's steps that you need to take and things you need to know, and there's this and that, but that's not the same as feeling emotional comfort in the midst of, of your trial. You can figure out how to be a comfort to people without worrying about how to give them the answers. And I think the more that you give yourself the freedom to go that route, the less likely you are to misstep. I think that's an amazing place to start off. It's a, a great, a great jumping off point in that. And Lee, let's go to the point where you think you can help by saying something that's slightly different than being qualified, but it's kind of in there. So in our question after saying, you know, I feel like I've been through a similar thing as these people. And I, I want to say something positive, which is great. And that's, and you can definitely come from a good place on that. Once we've made the decision to uh, open our mouth holes here, what can we do to make sure that that has a chance to go well? Well, one of the things that um, I think is just paramount and just really just building on the, 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 the really cool stuff that Jed's already said about this is I think that sometimes when we want to help people, we do think that the best thing that we could do, the, 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 the prime success in that scenario is I said the thing and it was a breakthrough. And then they, you know, all the feasts, all the pieces fell into place and, and now they've, now they've got the whole thing figured out and they exercised all their feelings. The, and as exactly as Jed's saying, that is not always a comforting thing. It's not always a helpful thing, especially if we're in over our head. If you, if you're in this situation and it does feel like words are called for, let me encourage you to do this. Ask another question. Just ask more questions. Give them the chance to continue to process the thing that they're going through. It's not going to make you look brilliant, and it's not going to, you know, be some breakthrough. But just keeping that person 
you're you're one thing you're communicating to that person at that point is you are the point. I, I am not the point with the with my brilliant insights. I'm not the point with my story that's like this where I demonstrate that I understand how it feels. I'm keeping the spotlight on you and I'm asking you the question. And I that's a thing that if you are going to to put more words into this scenario to keep to keep giving them the microphone and keep giving them the chance to you know delve further into this which an, another thing that does is it gives you more opportunities just to listen to someone. And so many times per the comforting stuff that Jeb was talking about earlier some people just need somebody in the world who has the time to listen to their problem. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great place to take that. As these guys are are pointing out, um, a lot of this has to do with what you're trying to accomplish there and what you, yeah. the the f- kind of the mindset almost, maybe not the best term, but that you go into something with because the difference between positivity and toxic positivity oftentimes is who are you in this interaction for? Um, as Lee's saying, if, yes. if you're in it to say smart stuff or to, uh, a lot of times people can not necessarily share with about their situation with someone cause they want to help that person through that situation, but more just, they want to share that they have a lot of neat thoughts or experience about a similar situation and that's not exactly helping. I'm um, so, but I think you're coming this from a, from a very cool place of wanting, I think you want to help people and you want to do this well, which is, we talk about all on the show. A lot of times is uh, to quote the old GI Joe PSAs is half the battle to want to do this for the right reason is, is super duper helpful. But I, the, the other thing you mentioned in your question, I think is really worth, uh, elucidating here is, you know, say, and I'm still battling my own self doubt to keep a healthy lifestyle. And there's this thing people told me and that helped. And I want to tell that to other people to help them, which is great. And, you know, we've all been in situations, be that, you know, um, at, at the bridge or in behind bars or working with just working with uh, young people or people in addiction where that kind of thing is super helpful like that, you know, people on their own level or somebody who's been on that path before saying something helpful is great. But you, if you are doing that to try to convince yourself or try to hear yourself say the words out loud where you're still working on your own thing, people can often, often pick up on that. And I think a lot of that yeah. kind of the seeds of the, the empathy that these guys are talking about is kind of in that. Not only to Lee's point, are you trying to like be the person who says the amazing thing that gives it this outcome? are you trying to rush someone through a process? Like, you know, you, you're not going to come up with this amazing thing and skip this person to the end. I think we all get in that place, especially if we kind of early or found a breakthrough and kind of whatever you're healing from or our journey is this idea of like, Oh man, it took me five years to get from a to B. So how awesome will it be if I can just tell this person at the first day and they jump right to B, but you, your journey from A to B was important and people need that to take that time. Yeah, this is a, this might be a particularly, um, you know, it, it might be a particularly ministry related kind of situation, but if you're helping somebody out and you knew as a condition of you helping this person out 
I, I will never get to tell this story. I will never get to share this with anybody. How would you do it differently? Yeah. There is, there, and if, if that doesn't make sense, what I mean is I have been around plenty of people in ministry scenarios where they, they told me a story of a time that they helped somebody and, um, and, and they just walked away the, the hero of that story. Yep. And, and so if you knew I'm going to sit down with this person and the condition of helping this person is I never get to share this for the rest of my life. How will that impact what you do in that moment? Um, and I, I think that's, it's just kind of like, well, if I, if I knew that this was really, really, really not ever going to be about me in any way, then I'm really just going to keep you the point. Yeah, I think that's, that's well such a, a cool point because it really does speak to that, that kind of underlying idea of, you know, because the point you bring up the question is great. People, you tell me God is always by our side, whether we're in hurt or pain. That's a great point. It's not a solution to a problem, but it doesn't have to be to be helpful and to be encouraging. Um, you, the, the kind of the toxic positivity in the way we've talked about on the show comes in with, well, God's always in your side, by your side, whether you're in hurt or pain. So your hurt and pain doesn't really matter because God's by your side anyway. That's not good. Um, God is by your side, even if you are in hurt or pain. And what can I do to help? That's great. Then the the difference between those two things in the the words is subtle. In the attitude is like a chasm. So one of the things yeah, yeah. you can definitely do to um, work on this, and this is a skill, and it's something I think for the three of us on the show, we've all been doing this a long time, and. Uh, professional and semi-professional capacities. So it's, it's uh, don't hear us talking like this is a super easy balance to strike. It takes, it takes some time. It takes some work. But one of the things I think uh, along with like the, the, what if I couldn't tell anybody that kind of stuff that like Leah's saying, those are all very helpful things to do beforehand to just get in the right mindset. to when you go into this interaction, going in with the right mindset and the right heart is going to make a lot of other stuff. Those details come together a lot better. I think. We're going to move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, I have some things in my life I've been working on improving for a while. I made a lot of progress and got into a good place. The thing is, I know I will have more stuff to deal with, and the thought of that is just exhausting. How do I face the next round of life? And, and another, another great question and a very, very relatable question here in the year of our Lord, 2022, where things just continue to keep happening both in a uh, meta and a uh, micro uh, aspect. So, so Jed, where would we, where would we start off with this idea of had some success? Maybe people who've just had some success really understand and have an idea of how much effort that takes and then projecting that forward into uh, more effort. <laughs> yeah, I, I dig it. I dig it. That's a, uh, um, it's a good question, man, and it makes total sense. I, I think there's a pretty good answer for it, but um, it's a little hippy-tastic, so hang with me for a second. So suppose that you worked just like a kind of a standard in terms of the schedule, like a, a job that's 9 to 5 Monday through Friday, right? And it's it's hard work, and you work hard, and you're, you're tired at the end of the week, and it's like 7 o'clock on Friday night, and you're going to go to whatever, you know, Applebee's or, or Chili's or something, and you're, you got your burger, and you got your chips and salsa, right? Like some part of your brain could say to you, why are you doing this? Monday's going to come again. It'll be here before you know it. So why <laughs> even bother with Friday night? 
you're only hours away from Monday when the torment of work begins anew. And I mean, like, I guess like that is, that's kind of true, I guess, in a sense, but like, dude, you're, you're in rest mode. You're, you're at Applebee's baby. You should, you should have fun. And so a big part of the answer is deciding to be present in your times of rest so that Mm. you enjoy them. Right. You can, you can go to Applebee's and just be thinking about Monday and how much it's going to suck and not enjoy Applebee's. But, but two things will happen if you do that. The, well, actually three. The first is they may ask you to leave Applebee's, but that is, that depends how hard you go with this. <laughs> if you're killing the vibe <laughs> at Applebee's, you need to re reengage, reevaluate a lot of things. You really do. So other than being potentially asked to leave, which is a risk. The first thing is you're not going to have any fun, right? And like, you deserve the fun. You deserve to have good times. Like one of the things that Lee has brought up a lot, and it's a good point, And he has blessed me by bringing it up is like, dude, the Bible commands you to feast a lot, like a lot, like the Bible commands you to party and to celebrate like a lot, like it's there in the new Testament, but it's super there in the old Testament. God insists that you have a good time. Like if you are living a life where you don't regularly have a good time, you are not living the life God wants you to live. Like that is, that is the Bible, dude. Um, so if you, um, if you do the whole, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to eat my chips and salsa, but I'm going to dread Monday the whole time. Like you are losing out on fun that you are meant to have. You're losing out on joy that you're meant to have. But the other thing of it that I want you to look at is dude, if you'll let yourself relax and be present in that time of rest, be present at the Applebee's really be mindful in your consumption of the chips and salsa I think you're going to find that it strengthens you. It's not just that it's a break, but it's actually giving you fresh strength so that when men, when Monday does roll around, you have some gas in the tank. You've got what it takes to go another round. So get that time of rest, get that time of celebration. But again, in a very hippie-tastic way, give yourself permission to be present there, man, to, to live mindfully in that moment and to be present and to take it in and really enjoy that celebration that you have earned. I love everything Jed said there, but especially the idea of Applebee's rebranding in a very kind of whole foods, natural juice kind of way, but keeping their own menu being like (laughs) a respite to come in, center yourself and engage with quality, fresh ingredients like these Buffalo (laughs) chicken poppers. <laughs> I'm just you know, I'm not saying it's a great idea. I'm just putting that out to define well people at I Applebee's. was thinking the whole time of I was thinking the whole time of like an anti commercial for like Outback Steakhouse where it's like, sure, the awesome blossom's delicious, but who cares? <laughs> Monday's coming. Don't even order it. This is Dear listeners, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you a favor here and turn you on to a a Twitter account that has brought all of us, especially Jed, a lot yeah. of joy over the years. It's called Nihilist Arby's. <laughs> and it is essentially what Lee is describing. This guy doesn't yeah. tweet off of me. He's a comedic genius. It's one of those things of there's no joy to be found in life. Existence is meaningless. Eat Arby's. <laughs> and I like the idea of that becoming a default um, <laughs> kind of, you know, maybe that's where our culture is. Just. It's Friday. You have to put something in your gaping maw. Why not this fried onion? Or don't. Whatever. Chili skillet queso. Because death comes for us all. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> Here's my thing. Now, I, okay, now I'm in like this total, like uh, this this total mental collapse where I'm like, I know Jed well enough to know, like it's at least possible that some of the food things that he eats are actually like a desperate cry for help. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's possible. That's I would put it as likely. Now, Lee, you're saying that about a man who recently uh, posted a photo of him finding. A breakfast cereal based on Wendy's Frosty, I believe it was. <laughs> and everything about that, from the company that made it, to the person who stocked the shelf, to Jed sharing that image, not out of revulsion, but out of interest and joy, every link in that chain is a cry for help. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so there's no doubt about that. Uh, but, and, hey, maybe when you, maybe Jed got through something hard, maybe hit a milestone, and maybe he thought the way to celebrate this is some Wendy's Frosty uh, in cereal form. And he would have been incorrect. But <laughs> I think the point of that is people celebrate and deal with things in their own way. And that's, that's individualized. And that was, you can, uh, dear listener, if you can, feel my hands on a, like a rope trying to bring the, this boat back around. That's what <laughs> you were hearing right there. And I think we did an okay job because Ali went back on the idea yes. of, you know, getting that, that, that gust of wind for, for another round of things, even though you're a little exhausted. Um, I think sometimes we can feel that the accomplishment, the victory, the achievement, the whatever of the last one, should just naturally carry us over. But I think Jed's making a very good point. It's worth developing that yeah. things like celebration and motivation, those do have to on some level be decisions you make, right? Absolutely. I, th I think one of the, one of the really important questions that I would ask anybody, especially anybody that's wrestling with the questions of like work life balance and stuff like that is, do you know what feels like celebration to you? Oh, that's a good question. Like, do you, do you know what you like? What, like, you've, you did, you set a goal, it was hard, you, you accomplished the goal, the thing ended, and there's a little bit of a vacuum there. There's an emotional vacuum, there's, there's kind of an energy vacuum, and there's a letdown, and one of the cool things that, that we need to do is to learn how to celebrate. I did a thing. I did a hard thing. And I'm going to celebrate that now. I when I was in college, there were there were no like music streaming services. Well, there were no legal music streaming services, and I mean there were places you could go on the internet to get music, but um, and viruses. Yeah, def and definitely not anything like Spotify or Apple Music or anything like that. And so you know, most people you know, you go to a, a music store and you buy CDs. And I used to have a little tradition that I would, that it was just a, it was just a thing I thought of one semester, which was when I get through finals at the end of the semester, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy myself a CD. And it's just a little celebration. It's just a little, just, just a little gift, just a little way to say you did it. You did the semester, big dog. It was a hard semester and you made it through. Here's a really interesting thing about that, uh, that little tradition that I had. One semester in particular for me was a very difficult one. I had a lot of weird family stuff going on that was really hard. Um, I had some some stuff going on with some classes that was it was it was just a difficult semester in a lot of ways. I got to the end of that semester, finished my finals, I went to the record store, 
and I bought a double album by a, a band called Wilco. The album was called Being There. To this day, if I just listen to any of the songs on that record, I actually have an emotional thing where I, I go back and celebrate having co- accomplished that semester. It's just a little thing where I'm like, hey, I did that that one time. And I know that was a way for me to celebrate. When our kids um, have like an orchestra concert or, you know, some big culminating event in their like, you know, kind of extracurricular or artistic life or something like that, they already know before, before we leave the building, they're like, we're going to Sonic, right? And it's like, oh yeah, baby, we're going to Sonic. So this time when I get the, uh, you know, the whatever slushy it is, can I get them to put the nerds in the slushy? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we're putting nerds in the slushy. So dad, how many corn dogs can I get to accompany this? How many do you want? <laughs> um, we're going to Sonic, baby. We're celebrating this culminating event. I, I, I say all that weird stuff to, just to ask you, do you know what your celebration is? What feels like celebrating to you? It's going to be individual. It's going to be fingerprint unique for every single person. You might have something that's similar-ish to somebody else's, but I would encourage you to find out what is a small thing that I could do that would, that would point out to myself, hey, we got a win today, and it was a big deal. We accomplished a goal. We got through a thing. And we're going to celebrate that. And I think that gives you not only energy for the next thing that you have to accomplish, but it could be some funky thing that, like me, for the rest of your life, kind of pays dividends, makes you look back and think, hey, I did a hard thing one time. And that might give you just some more gas in the tank for the next one. Absolutely. For the rest of your days, that cherry limeade slushy with the nerds mixed in will taste like victory. As opposed to a friend of mine once when we went to Sonic who decided the thing he wanted to do was get a little a single pump of every type of like syrup they had in one oh, slushy. Gosh. And that tastes oh, like yeah. the opposite of victory. <laughs> <laughs> that uh that was not a good time. That uh, that was not his way to celebrate. That was really not uh, moving anything forward except um certain uh things in his stomach, which did not need to be moved forward. That was that was a bad choice. But a lot of great stuff from these guys on that. Um, it really does, I think, uh, boil down to uh, celebration. And I think there's also some retrospective aspect of that, too. I think when we look at, you know, I had a goal, I accomplished it. We can break that down to it took all this time and effort and work. And there were there were hiccups along the way, almost certainly. And it can. But the thing is, I did this one thing, I, I think things are really that cut and dry. I bet a lot of good things happened to you and a lot of lessons were learned and a lot of positives came out of that situation other than just the one uh, thing that you ticked off the list. So I think some, also some perspective and some, some balance on that uh, looking back at that journey can also be, be super, super helpful in this move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, Hey guys, I've been thinking about the apocalypse a lot lately because well, you know, I've heard people say that things like the rapture and the tribulation aren't actually in the Bible. I feel like even if they are, doing stuff like prepping for those is kind of useless. So how are we supposed to think about this stuff? Do we need to think about it at all? A- another very cool question. And yeah, you know, when you when you open your news app and you see the phrase, they bombed a nuclear power facility, 
even those of us who aren't the most, uh, uh, you know, reading the Left Behind series of people, uh, one's thoughts may turn to to things. Uh, but it it is a great question. There's there's a lot of uh, background on it. And Lee, where, where would we start off with kind of picking apart how to think about this? Yeah, I'd, for a second, I'd like to deal with some of the biblical aspects of this, and in a in a in kind of a sideways fashion. What I what I mean by that is this: if you were a person who you lived in a time before the New Testament was written, and all you had was the Old Testament. And you knew that there were prophecies about who the Messiah was going to be. You probably wouldn't have come up with anything like who Jesus actually was. Pretty much everybody missed it. He wound up telling some people that he was the Messiah. Some people asked some questions and stuff like that. But a whole lot of things about his ministry, about his words, about his life, and and definitely his biggest work really, really, really confused people. Now, when we look back on the whole deal, it's easy for us to like connect a lot of dots on Old Testament prophecies about who the Messiah is. And we're looking back on the events and saying, oh yeah, I can see how that one makes sense now and that one makes sense. But if you were reading them without seeing the, the culmination of Jesus's life, it would be really confusing and really difficult to, to kind of understand. I think it's probably the end of the world and all that stuff and the great beyond and eternity and how all of that's going to play out based on things. The Bible tells us about those things. I don't think it's probably going to be like anything like what people predict or or put in movies or, or in Christian books or anything like that. I think that when we find ourselves on the other side of it, we'll be able to look back at what God has revealed to us and say, yeah, I can see how that was a clue. Um, it was totally different than I thought, and I didn't really need to to split hairs about it. Certainly, certainly, let's not let anybody drag us into a fight, uh, you know, or argument about things that basically nobody understands. I think for me, uh, there's a there was something Jed said in our last episode, which was when you look at the Old and the New Testament, there is one concept that happens over and over and over again, which is Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, period, the end. Um, as when we get down into like what's going to happen with the rapture or the tribulation and stuff like that, I don't think anybody's qualified. I just don't think anybody can, can parse that stuff out and convince anybody. Again, when we get to the end of it, I think we'll be able to look back and say, oh, yeah, those are some helpful hints, I guess. But mainly, I think our job is to know that God loves us. He wants to be in a relationship with us, and he wants us to to get in on that and learn how to take care of and support each other. In the and there's a whole lot that the Bible says very clearly about all of that work that we're doing right now. So I wouldn't get bogged down or getting to get into arguments or anything like that about these things that people definitely definitely do not understand. Yeah, I think that's that's such a great point. And Jed, maybe um what that leads us to is there's a whole lot of things, uh, both in the book of Revelation, in kind of the, as Lee is pointing out, kind of the extra uh, scriptural stuff that has popped up around the idea of the end times and all that that stuff that no one understands, no one will understand this side of eternity. So that leaves us with maybe focusing on some things we can do and do understand, whether it is the end of days or just uh, a time when a lot of crazy stuff is happening. So are there... 
in the in the uh, interest of looking at productive ways, places to put our time and energy, what might those be when we have these kind of these kind of thoughts and feelings? That's a great question. So I'm going to read you real quick um, my favorite passage out of the book of Revelation. It's funny. It doesn't get quoted in churches a lot because it doesn't involve three-headed dragons and, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm jumping around a little bit. This is the beginning of Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So this is awesome. This is great. Uh, This is all things being made right. All shall be made right. I've heard people summarize the book of Revelation by saying God wins, and that's true. Another way of summarizing is all shall be made right, man. Mm. All things shall be made right. But that's not today, dude. That is someday. That's not today. Today, another thing that we looked at in our last episode is Micah 6.8. What does the Lord your God require of you today? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Um, You have the choice every single day when you get up to live out those values, to focus on justice, to focus on mercy, to focus on humility. And if that feels like too long of a list, just love your neighbor, man. Love the people who are there in your life. Yep. Be kind to them. Be good to them. Um, to actually link this to to some of the questions we've already looked at in this same episode, you don't need to have answers for every problem that they have. Just love them. You don't you don't need to to preach to every struggle that they have. Just love them. Um, be be at the Applebee's with them. That's that's really in many ways what I'm saying. Be at the Applebee's on Friday with them. When they're not sure whether they can have fun on the Friday, go with them and help them have fun. Love your neighbor. And, and here's here's kind of the cool thing, man, is, you know, um, Jesus, obviously the, the call to love your neighbor comes from Jesus. Um, but, like, Jesus didn't give us a blueprint of what it would look like to love your neighbor in every situation. That's something you got to figure out, man. And that's actually the fun of it. That's That's the adventure of it. I think... One of the things that's that's pretty messed up about a lot of the end times obsession stuff is it wants there to be like this specific code. You got to crack the Bible code to figure out which things and which nations invading which nations and it augurs poorly. The fun is that there isn't one answer for how you love your neighbor. There isn't this hidden numerical code you have to crack. You're meant to use all your heart and all your mind and all your strength to figure it out. You're, you're meant to engage creativity. You're meant to engage your imagination. You're meant to engage your generosity. You're meant to engage the specific unique person that God made you to be. Cause here's the cool thing. No one else can love your neighbor the way you can. No one can, no one else can love your neighbor the way that you can. There is a, a role that you can play in their life. Even if it's small that no one else can play, but you've got to figure it out, man. In the same way that, you know, no one else could write the stories you can write or no one else could sing the songs that you can sing. No one else can love your neighbor the way that you can. And I think one of the things that's so unfortunate about the various obsessions that Christians get into is pouring time into stuff you're not meant to worry about and the opportunity cost of not putting that time and energy into figuring out things that you are meant to pour yourself into, like loving your neighbor. 
that's all fantastic stuff. And I think that that energy is a great point on this. And when people do get way too, oh, my, I used to judgmentally there, in my opinion, way too much about end time stuff. Um, there's something about it that excites them. There's something about that that fires part of their brain. And, you know, it's, and it's not just Christian stuff. I mean, they're post-apocalyptic literature and uh, theory is a huge thing. Um, and it, I, I think a lot of it boils down to the idea that society breaks down and people like me are now the ones who thrive. Uh, whatever that people like me means, that could mean Christian, that could mean someone who does the the doomsday prepping, that could mean whatever it is. But, you know, whatever societal and cultural constraints are stopping me from being, you know, the the top of the mountain, those will be taken away. And then there'll be this whole kind of crazy new world, which is really not in the Bible. As Jed points out, um, we're trading an old thing for a new thing, and it's a, a trading a, ba- a fallen thing for a non-fallen thing. But this idea of just, um, but there's a little time there where it's just free for all. And then like, that's, uh, that's just something people, people added on there because it's an, an interesting and fertile ground for fiction and thought. But I agree with with uh, our question asker here. Um, it is perfectly reasonable to take a look at something and say, well, what, what do we know about this? What would it be like? What can we uh, infer from what we actually, the actual information we have? And sometimes the answer is not much. What, what, what would it be like were it to be the apocalypse and, you know, whether that be nuclear winter or seven headed dragons or whatever, uh, bad, dear listener, uh, it would be bad. I don't think there's a lot of use in thinking about exactly the ways in which it would be bad and how long it would be bad and uh, what it would be bad. It's it's not going to be great. What will it be like when there's a new Jerusalem and all, no, there should be no more tears or mourning nor crying nor pain for the older things have, has passed away? Good. It will be good. <laughs> and Paul's pretty specific that it will be good in a way that you're literally your human mind cannot conceive of. Uh, so, meh. It is, I don't want to tell anyone how to spend their mental energy, but thinking about things where the Bible literally says, you can't think about this, your brain can't hold it, it won't work, may not be the best use. Not with that attitude, Matt. <laughs> That's right. I'm having a very little, I'm not being very present at this mental Applebee's, um, but, you know, uh, so it, it totally makes sense, especially when, you know, crazy stuff's kicking off that your your, your thoughts turn to such a thing. Um, but they don't have to stay there. You're not missing anything. You're not uh, running from anything. There's, there's a as you know, as Lee's pointing out about other stuff uh, in a recent episode. There's a lot of words in the Bible about certain subjects, and not a lot about other subjects. And I think it's fair to take that as an indicator. And there's, it's just when you line it all up, there's just not a lot about the end of the world. Um, it's gonna happen. God's gonna be in charge of it. It's going to be weird. That's about it. That was a great summation. Yeah, that was very good. There you go. I just saved you an entire seminary course. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but so if that's all that's in the Bible, and as Jed pointed out, to the point where even people who are really into it have to go to to numerology or Gnostic texts or whatever to get any, any grips for the mill, there's plenty of stuff that's a great place to spend your time and your energy and your mental effort, and it's probably better spent there than thinking on what it's going to be like when things are are totally different. But that's a middle exercise that we we can understand why people engage in. And, and that's probably 
okay in some measure as well, but you can definitely go too far with it pretty easily. If you have a question for us at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, we're going to take it out with a song. We've uh, been touching on some of the subjects in this song, and also sometimes it's just time to rock. So this is from our Ooh. sister program, The Bridge Loud, featuring our friend, uh, Lynn's Honeyman. This song is called No, He Wasn't. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God bloves you. There's Ooh. nothing you can do about it. The Outback Steakhouse and its world-famous Bloomin' Onion. Have one or not, because Monday is coming no matter what you do. <laughs> two men go to the chapel. Two men go to the church. First steps up to the microphone to give the speech that he's rehearsed. He clears his throat and begins to brag about how clean he keeps his nose. He's well behaved and generous. Then comes his crescendo. Thank you.